to be continuing this morning with our sermon series called Made for More. And the subtitle of this, this message series is Be Everything You Were Created to Be. And I want to remind us that we have something, highlight something on our bulletin called Conversation Sunday that's going to be happening pretty soon here. After the conclusion of this message series, uh, we're going to be answering your questions. But in order to do that, we got to have you guys asking questions, right? So I just believe that church isn't supposed to just be a monologue, right? Just like a, a pastor preaching in a vacuum of just like, oh, I think this is what people are dealing with in their life, right? It's, rather, I think it's better if we actually talk about the things and address the things that are real in our lives. So we have it opened up at our Connect table uh, on the way that when you leave anonymously, you can ask any question. You can go to our website, and you can ask any question, and we're going to just compile all those questions on a Sunday after our series and just spend a Sunday or two uh, answering the questions that you've asked about, man, some things that God's doing in your life or some questions that are bubbling up as we talk about this topic of who are we created to be and what do, what do our lives look like in the way that God has designed us. So just to get us cut up, caught up to speed from last week, if you're joining us, last week was part one. We're dipping into part uh, two this morning, but last week we talked about more truth in our lives because I don't know about you, but our lives are constantly swarmed by lies. Lies, lies, lies. Lies to the point that you may not realize it or not, but there's questions deep down within our souls as human beings because we are insecure because of lies that have been spoken over us. Maybe passively, maybe indirectly, maybe directly, right? So there's three main questions that we really started looking at last week because of the lies that have infiltrated our lives that caused us to be insecure about who we were created to be. And these, these are the questions that, that we asked last week. Who am I created to be? That's a common question that each and every one of us has, simply because we are insecure based on the lies of who we are. We, we don't have this figured out. We don't have this down to a science of like, who am I created to be, right? Another question we oftentimes ask is, what am I made to do? What am I made to do? That's a common question. As, as you grow up, it's like, well, I want to, why am I here? What, what am I made to do on this earth? And then lastly, where do I fit in? Where, where am I supposed to be? You know, people have preferences on their geography of where they want to live, but more than anything, we want to be in the right place. So because we just live in this life where many times lies continue to confront us and make us insecure about who we are, it causes us to ask these questions, the good news is, is that God's thoughts are contrary to the lies. You know, God actually has thoughts that are abundant for us. He believes in us, not a life filled to receive lies about who we are, but he believes and has a vision for our lives that is abundant. Last week we talked, it'll be up on the screen about the idea that you were created for more. And the powerful thing within that is that you, you and no one else, you in particular, you as a unique person that God has created, you have a specific corner of culture no one will be able to serve like you can. No one will be able to influence and impact the places in your work, where you live, where you play, no one can affect those areas like you can. You are uniquely positioned and placed in areas of culture that are yours that God's saying, go shine the love of Christ. Go be what the world needs. Go love people like never before. You have an opportunity in your family. The relationships that you have, you have at your disposal an area and a corner of culture that you can impact like nobody else. You know, collectively, as humans, we've, we're created for more. And the church, this beautiful assembly of people that were uniquely created, come on somebody, this assembly of Jesus followers, I believe, was created for more. But we have to drown out the lies and receive the truth that we are made for more. 
It's the first thing we have to do. We have to, we have to, we have to drown out the voices of lies. And we actually have to start believing in the truth that we were made for more. So that's what we talked about last week. And this week, the title of the message, if you're taking notes, is this, more vision. Because I believe this, once we actually receive truth that we're made for more, that, that we're not just made literally to just bask in lies and insecurities of many times what our culture tells us of who we're supposed to be. Once we receive this idea and this truth that we were made for more, I believe that we need more vision. And uh, I have something in my pocket, and I don't know if everybody's going to be able to see this, but um, I have a little thing in my pocket that some, some of you from a distance maybe can, you, you understand or you see what this is, but it's a little miniature uh, Lego figure, and my four-year-old son, Luca, he's, he's really into Legos right now. He really is. Like, he's, he's loving it. We bought, like, a Star Wars X-Wing and put it together. It was, like, one of these, you know, father-son moments he'll never forget, right? Um, and he's only four, so it was, like, a lot of just, like, okay, just patient. Okay, put that little piece there. Like, you know, it's supposed to take you, like, a few hours. It took us, like, two weeks or whatever, you know? Like, and last week, we actually went on a family vacation down to Dallas, and they have a Legoland uh, Discovery Center. So it's not a big Legoland, but it was, like, this little Discovery Center where they, you know, they have, uh, they make Legos goes and they have all these different exhibits and I was like man if I could like insert myself into my like my four-year-old self I'm like this would be like the most mind-blowing experience right but I say this because um this is this is this is a little guy right this is just a little toy but unfortunately when it comes to our vision sometimes in the way that we view God in the way that we view Jesus is sometimes we reduce him down to this he's little He's almost like an accessory. You know, he's the type of God that we can just kind of pop him in our pocket. We can pull him out when it's convenient. Okay, God, you know, like things are going good and you're here. I got, I got my church attendance in my back pocket here. And, oh, wait, stuff's happening in my life. Well, Jesus, let me just pop you out. He almost acts as an accessory in our lives. He's this little Jesus, almost like a little Jesus syndrome in the way that we view Jesus in our lives. If you don't know the name of one of these, anybody know the name of one of these? I found this out. This is just random. Uh, this is actually called a minifig. It's like mini figurine. So a, a Lego figure is actually called a minifig. Luca told us that, our four-year-old. He's like the one that formed me. I'm like, I've been playing for Lego with Legos for like how long? And like now I actually know what this is called. Anyway, um, but we, many times we treat Jesus like this, like the minifig, Right? Like this accessory in our lives, he's so small, we feel like we can control him. But unfortunately, when, when Jesus becomes small, it forces our hands to be the ones that start to believe the lie that, that we're big. That it's up to us. That we have to perform to be perfect. Because he's so small, we feel like the world's been placed upon our shoulders. We lose God vision for our lives, and our vision gets reduced down to a man-made human vision for our lives. And this morning, my prayer is that our vision would expand, that the vision for our lives wouldn't be a vision where Jesus is so small that we're the big ones. We believe that our vision is grand, but we would begin to enlarge a vision that's greater than an accessory the size of a mini figurine, Right? What's your vision for peace? Jesus is more. What's your vision for love? Jesus is more. What's your vision for justice? Jesus is more. 
What's your vision for goodness? I believe this, Jesus is more. What's your vision for power? Jesus is more. What is your vision for humans collectively? What is your vision for a group of human beings following after the purposes of God, the church? What's your vision vision for the church? Jesus promises more. This morning, we're going to be diving into a letter that a man named Paul wrote to churches to encourage them. You know, back in the day when the early church began, it was a cult. There weren't many followers of Jesus. People were considered, these people that followed Jesus, it was called the way. And the way began to catalyze a new type of a culture. One that was based on people that said, I saw this man resurrect. And because this event happened in human history, all of my baggage that I had before, I'm leaving that behind because I'm, I'm deeming this man worthy to be followed. And one of the ways that God miraculously intervened in the midst of this time when the early church was beginning was this man named Paul who was this terrorist, right? He was the, the, the modern day uh, like ISIS, right, for the church. He was persecuting the church. He was a terrorist. His job was like, I want to take the church out. And the story goes on to tell us that this man, formerly named Saul, gets knocked off of this mission. God intervenes and says, hey, I know you were like the complete opposite of what, what was designed, of what I want to see happen on this earth, but I'm going to use you, and I'm going to have you be one of the main leaders of this thing called the church. See, I love that. It's such a powerful redemption story for us because I think some of us in the room maybe carry some guilt, carry some baggage. Uh, well, yeah, God's purposes are more, but we've never really received that for ourselves because maybe we haven't fully received the forgiveness of saying that God wants to take your life, see where you're at, acknowledge it, but then push you towards a better future. But he accepts you right where you're at, right where you're at this morning, wherever you're at. In the same way, Paul is this powerful illustration who goes and does amazing things. So the church begins to blow up and people start taking notice because they begin to multiply. And Paul, he writes this letter to churches during this time. But he's writing this letter while he is being persecuted. In fact, he's, he's, he's in the middle of what's equivalent of, of a house arrest. And he's writing letters to other churches encouraging them to continue to press on. In fact, he knows that he probably is going to meet one of his last days soon because of the persecution during this time was so bad. People were being killed because of their faith in Jesus that he writes in this letter to the Ephesian churches with a tone that's desperate. He writes with a tone basically saying like, if I could encourage, if this is one of my last days or hours, what could I encourage the church to do during this time where people are literally dying because of their faith? So he's riding with this posture under persecution in himself, and he's riding with this cosmological perspective about the universe of how could the church, this little human assembly called the church, make an impact on the rest of the world. So he's writing this letter, and we're going to look at one of the key verses in the first chapter in this letter. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 through 23, and this is this is what Paul writes. He says, And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Can we pray this morning? Lord, be real to us this morning. We don't want to play church. We're dropping the facade. You're a real God who wants to meet us in a real way. So, Lord, we're thankful that you choose to do that. 
We're thankful that you choose to meet us right in our midst, right in the middle of our mess. And we're thankful that you're a God that doesn't want us to stay there, but wants us to pull us in the direction of what the vision that you have for our lives. Would our vision expand? And Lord, would a vision begin to maybe plant seeds in people's personal hearts and minds this morning? In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. I believe this, in order to have more vision... As we're talking about being made for more. In order for us to have more vision, we probably first got to get on board with a massive vision. Not the minifigurine vision. We got to get on board with this massive God vision of what God has in store for us. But in order to get on board with that God vision, I believe we actually got to figure out how we view God, right? Because here, here's the tendency. Some of us, right, we, we, we turn God into the minifigurine. So who is God? And I love how Paul reminds the church. And the first phrase that really grabs me is he says, God placed all things under his feet. Speaking of Jesus. Now, if you're new to the Christian faith, or maybe you're a person, you're like, I'm not really familiar with church. In, in, in our Christian studies and how we've interpreted the Bible, what we understand about the character of God is that God is one, yet he is three persons. It's a powerful truth in the Christian faith that I think is worthy of kind of addressing this morning. So up on the screen, we have the three persons of, of, of the biblical God, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He is one God, yet three persons. We see God and his three persons uh, have different tasks, relate and reveal himself in different ways throughout the biblical narrative. The persons of God are different yet equal. And there's this beautiful submission and relationship that exists between the three persons within the character and nature of God. And here's one of the most powerful truths is that right in God's character himself is community. Right within the nature of God himself is this desperation that we as human beings are not meant to be lonely people. I even think about Adam and Eve. I think about the first humans on the earth and what does God Say to Adam, well, you're not meant to be alone. So he sends another, right? Wrapped up in the very powerful nature of who God is community. But we do. We see these different roles, and Jesus leaves. The church begins, and it's weird. Jesus ascends. It's like, hey, you're going to be in my church. Peace out. It's like humans are like, oh, you know, the early church. What's happening? Weren't you supposed to come and do everything? And God's like, no, watch me. I'm going to make you be a part of my grand vision. In fact, Jesus says, you're going to go do greater things than I ever did. And the, the way that that actually came about is because Jesus poured out his spirit upon his church and upon mankind. See, the spirit of God, the person of the Holy Spirit, when you say yes and accept Jesus into your life, your life, your body becomes the temple to host his power. It's almost like Jesus is like, let me multiply my power throughout all of humanity. Now go and do greater things than I could do one capacity person as a human being that I've limited myself. My plan is to say, hey, it's not all about me, but be the heroes in this lifetime by my power through my spirit. And it's amazing because through the spirit of God, we find Jesus and we have access to his power but then through Jesus, we have access to have relationship with God our Father. 
The one that because of the world we live in, there's been this separation between having relationship between us and God. But God brings this amazing rescue plan by sending his son to die, the perfect sacrifice, so that may, we may have relationship with a God in which we've been separated from. See, the beauty of God and his character and his nature helps us understand what God is trying to accomplish. So in this verse, we understand that Jesus, after he ascended, he takes his place and sits at the right hand of God the Father. Meaning this, God the Father is giving Jesus all authority. In fact, Jesus is ruling and reigning as king. In fact, as the Bible, as Paul particularly writes, he says God, referring to God the Father, placed all things under Jesus' feet. There's a, there's a reality. I don't know about you, but I think about Jesus ruling and reigning, and we live in this life and horrible things happen. That's because there's not only one kingdom, Jesus' kingdom as he's ruling and reigning, there's actually these other kingdoms that exist in our world that are in opposition to everything God wants to accomplish. See, and I, I don't know about you, like, we live in this world, and, and I get overwhelmed with problems in our world. Maybe I'm the only one. I get overwhelmed with problems in our country. I get overwhelmed when I look at the problems that exist even in our state lines. I get overwhelmed when I look around and I see some problems that exist within our county. I get overwhelmed when I look around and I even think within our own backyard, I think about the problems and the things that don't look like heaven in our city. But of course we get overwhelmed. Because many times we are naturally defaulting to our vision. Where we think, we believe that it's up to our vision. And Jesus is here. And he's small. But what does Paul encourage the church? He reminds the church of something so powerful. All things are under the feet of Jesus. All things are under his feet. How big are you when everything's under your feet? How massive are you? How massive are you when the universe, the cosmos, are underneath your feet? Where is our vision when we reduce that God down to an accessory in our lives? Because first and foremost, to have vision for our lives, we got to understand God's vision. And we got to understand the God who created the vision. It is absolutely massive. The scripture goes on in Ephesians 1. You can be up on the screen. It says that he's the fullness, but he fills everything in every way. What? Jesus is so big, he fills the entire cosmos. He fills it. He's that big. Once again, can we talk about the grandness of God and the possibility of a vision that he has? He is the creator, the sustainer who holds everything together. He's big enough to fill everything in every way. He's big enough to the, be the solution to every problem. He's big enough to redeem every mistake. He's big enough to restore everything broken. If you came in discouraged this morning, there is hope because there is a God who sees you, acknowledges you, and is designed and desires to put you 
back together in the way that you were created and meant to live as a human being, breathing and living with purpose on this earth. God's vision is massive because Jesus is massive. He is king. And he's not a forceful king. He's a gracious king who chose to serve with the greatest form of leadership, which is not domination, heavy-handedness, but through the posture of serving and washing the feet of those that he was leading. Can we keep going with this vision this morning? Because now that we understand how grand God is, now that we understand how big he is, now that we understand how massive Jesus' leadership and rulership is, since everything is under his feet, let's look at that verse in Ephesians 1 and look at it a little closer. Because all things are under his feet, referring to Jesus, and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church. The church. Who is the church? How does Paul define the church with this big, more filled vision? He says the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. The church is the fullness of Jesus filling everything in every way. Who are we as the church? We always say this at Ponca City Church, be the church, not a building, right? We are not a building, we are a body. We are not a program, we are a people. We are not an activity, but we are an identity. The church is the people of God, saved by the power of God, created for the purposes of God. To wreak love-filled justice havoc on this earth that is felt by everyone. The church is called to fill everything every way. We were in Texas on this vacation last week, and right across from where this Lego center was, it was inside of a mall, is this aquarium. Some of you might have been there before. We didn't actually go to the aquarium, but my son, Luca, he loves aquariums. And, 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 and filling everything every way. Imagine for a second uh, an aquarium. You know, you have so many different, you have so many different uh, creatures in there. You have so much, you have the, the reef. You have all these different things that exist within an aquarium. But it's amazing when you think about water permeating everything within the aquarium, right? Nothing can escape from being touched. Every crack and crevice is being filled. Every nook and cranny is being permeated by the water within all of these things that exist within the aquarium. And here's what's amazing about what Paul is encouraging the church. He's saying, hey, guess what? That's you. That's you touching every crevice in society, filling everything every way, me being multiplied to make a massive difference in the world that you live in. It's not about the superhero me, Jesus, Lord and Messiah, but he serves us in a way where he invites us into this massive thing and this vision for our lives that's beyond our human capabilities. It's beyond our own eyesight that we default to when we reduce him down to a mini figurine. But when Jesus becomes massive in our life, we begin to understand when Jesus says the church is called to more, we have a vision for so much more than we could ever ask or imagine for. 
We have a vision to say that we as the church, come on, we permeate everything. We touch everything and we push people in the direction towards the purposes of God. Not to the lies of despair that many times our culture wants to call us to. But we inform people that God has more for our lives. You are breathing and living as a human being on this earth because you are called to more purposes. And you are called to have more vision for your life personally. Jesus is more. And the church is called to more. That's you. That's for me. And that's why here at PCC, and this will be up on the screens, is we're constantly encouraging people to transition. Because some of us, maybe we've reduced our posture and our vision down to say, okay, well, here's my relationship with church. It's a building. And I'm going to come to the building and I'm going to do great things. And I'm not... I'm not saying those are bad things. Man, we, Sundays are a way for us to reach people, to love on people, to serve people, you as a family, your kids. We need volunteers. We need people here. But here's what I believe. That's the entry point. I believe we need to build appetites where we're saying we have rhythms in our life where we serve the needs of other people. That's great. But here's where the vision can get so capped off, right? It's come and do. It's very building-based. But here's, here's what we're committed to as a spiritual environment at Ponca City Church. We're going to push you to transition from come and do, getting integrated, to go and be. Not being, a not being a building, but literally committing to you growing to be a missionary wherever you are. Permeated in society. Jesus is big, but I hate to tell you this morning, we can't delegate Everything into Jesus' hands because he called and proclaimed and empowered this beautiful thing called the church that he chose to partner with human beings that are broken, saying, I'm going to see those imperfect people do amazing things and be restored and help restore a world that feels like hell to feel more and more like heaven. That is God's vision for his church. Paul writes this with his urgency to churches during this time because he knew life was on the line. How will the church be a force to be reckoned with in this world that we live in, knowing that because of my faith in Jesus, I might die? We need to multiply. It can't be based on one man. It can't be based on one pastor. It can't be based on a church staff. It's got to be based on people who are called by God to go into society, to go into the places only they have influence over and make a massive difference. At our church, our, our goal is to equip you to illuminate the fullness of Jesus where you live, where you work, where you learn, where you play. The fullness of Jesus can fill every corner of society through the church. It can. But the minute we institutionalize it, the minute it's just a building, the minute it's just a bomb shelter where we hide from the world and huddle up and delegate everything to Jesus' hands, we miss the massive vision that God designed for his church to burst through these walls, go into our community, and serve people like they've never been served before. And the beautiful thing is it's multiplied through created human beings individually who have unique visions that are unlike anyone else's. You are uniquely created. You are purposed to, purpose so uniquely and created so uniquely just the way you are because you have power to influence the relationships and your circle of culture around you.
up on the screen, I just want to remind us, here's our vision as a church. Family matters. Really simple. But I think it kind of helps be defined by our, our, our goal. Here's our goal. Here's our goal as a church. We want to adopt anyone and everyone into the genuine and active love of Jesus. We are a family, and we want to adopt and wrap our arms around those who are spiritual orphans, those who are spiritually disconnected, those who maybe don't have this God vision for their lives, and we want to remind them and say, hey, let's be a family together, and hey, let's go change the world together. And the way that we're going to do that is we're going to adopt people one relationship at a time, and we're not going to be fake facade, show up on Sunday morning, morning do ourselves up type of people. We're going to be a, fa a family that lives out our faith. We are genuine, and we are active. But those things begin to inform ourselves, because here's what I believe. I believe that this is people-based. We are in the business of humans. And here's what's so beautiful about our goal. It cannot be accomplished based on me. It cannot be accomplished based on our church staff. It can only be genuinely and actively empowered and released in our city, understanding that God is going to provide human beings within our church family that recognize what they're called to do and begin to push back on the kingdom of evil in our city, in our society, in every way. There's people in this room that are passionate about some of the solutions that our city needs. There are people in this room that are the solution to things that you complain about in our city. There are people in this room that are called to actually go serve a vision God's placed in their heart, but it's been reduced down to volunteerism, fundraising, and Sunday mornings. But God's saying this morning, we're going to burst that vision wide open. Because the beautiful thing is when a mosaic of people called by God shepherd the areas in their culture and their society, solutions will happen in our city that our city is begging for. You complain about a drug problem in Ponca City, the drug problem isn't going to happen and be solved by the solution of the institution of Ponca City Church or the pastor. The solution is going to be solved by somebody in this room who's called to go serve that need, that's called and has a vision for that very thing, not because the church is telling you to do it, but because you know as a representative, as the church of Jesus, God's placed a vision in your heart, maybe that hasn't even been discovered yet. We're going to pour our fuel on that fire. There's a youth problem in our city. There's not enough to do when it comes to youth. The beautiful thing is God's sending people that are going to raise up and solve that very problem because it's not based on the pastor. It's not based on the institution. We're going to fill every nook and cranny. Come on, somebody. There's a domestic violence problem in our city. Good thing that God uses imperfect people that have had horrible experience to rise up to begin to serve that vision that isn't based on the pastor's vision, but it's based on a vision that says let's empower the vision of the church to go fill every nook and cranny of society. There is a vision. There's a job problem in our city. Good thing God's sending people he's going to empower to take specifically care of that problem because that's their calling. There's a socioeconomic divide and problem. Good thing God is going to send and revive things in our people that are going to go serve that need because they're called to. Because someday they're going to face Jesus and he's going to say, I created you to do this. What did you do with it? Well, my pastor didn't give me the right outreach to attend. No! Jesus is going to say, I've given you. There's people in this church 
that are called to do and fulfill visions in their heart, but literally have been strongholded by the permission of the pastor in the church, be released to go serve our city and see the needs and hell be taken over by the kingdom and the power of his kingdom, the kingdom of God. People might say, hey, our city, we got a vision problem. Callie and I, we're here. We have been sent, I believe this, not to build another church, not to be the cool church. We have been sent here to build a church that actually takes care of the city's problems. That is what the church has been called to do. God has given us vision, but the vision isn't based on us. The vision is saying, empower people to go bring heaven into a city that sometimes feels like people are living in hell. More vision. We are made for more vision. People get mad at the institution of the church. I understand why. Because we got 80 churches. But how is the kingdom breaking in? We're going to invest in people. And we're going to see those things broken down. And it's not going to be based on, well, I brought my pastor with me, Jesus. and here he, No, it's, it's what has God called you to do? Do you have a vision for your life that says, not based on my permission, not based on the staff's permission, but be freed into figuring out what you're called to do and be released to go serve that. Because no one else can serve it like you can. And God is going to, he provides. He's sending us people that are going to provide for the very issues that you sit around and complain about and I complain about. But we're going to stop complaining and we're going to say, we're going to invest in people. We're going to contribute to a deeper and a better future. The problem that I want to leave us with this morning is this. The question, where is your vision? Where is your vision? Is it God vision? Is it come and do vision? Is it like, well, volunteer every now and then. I'll even give to the church sometimes. I'll, I'll attend on Sunday morning. That'll be good. No, no, no. Every nook and cranny of society. The fullness of Jesus is expressed through his church. We are not going to play church. We're going to fight and push back on the other kingdoms that are pushing back on the kingdom of Jesus. Because he's ready to send out empower ambassadors and break hell's walls down in Jesus' name. Can we pray together this morning?